It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. It's a Thursday as we head towards the great sports weekend. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley. We're broadcasting from our studios in San Diego, and we welcome you to our weekly Thursday podcast. And, John, we got a ton of topics on the table. Headline by Baseball. NBA, NHL, and a whole bunch of other stories. This is going to be a fun discussion. A lot of fun. I mean, we got Aztecs, we've got the Raiders are on this list. It's going to be a ton in here. Let's start with Major League Baseball. I'm going to ask you the question. Breakout? Untracked? Give me an adjective, or maybe it's a verb, to describe where the Padres are right now. Okay. They're, they're coming up. On track. Is that the right word? Is they, yeah, they're, they're finding their groove. Thank goodness for Mexico City. Yes. Thank goodness for bad Giants pitching. Thank goodness for bad Cincinnati Reds pitching. I'll take the contributions of Fernando Tatis, the glimpse of success with Juan Soto, uh, Manny Machado's bounce back. But consider where they played, who they played. I'm not sure of this yet. However... In the fight for first place, the Padres are ready to tangle with the Dodgers beginning Friday night. Big weekend series. Mm. Don't think you're going to see anybody wearing Dodger blue at Petco Park Friday, Saturday, (laughs) Sunday. They'll be there. It's a litmus test, though, because now we'll find out have the Padre bats have really come back together because they're going to be facing some pretty decent Dodger pitching. Tatis with a good series in Mexico. Pushed his batting average to 304. It's slipped back under that mark since that point in time. Juan Soto, 8 for 16 in one stretch. Three doubles, home run, six walks. Hmm. But that's against the Reds. That's against the Giants. That's with the help of the thin air in Mexico. Manny Machado, whom I'd never, ever imagine would hit 152 for an entire month, looks like he's starting to bang the ball around. Is he back? Or is that just a byproduct of ragtag giant and really wretched Cincinnati pitching coupled with thin air? So you tell me, Factor Fiction, where are we? We're, yeah, I think we're kind of getting out of the shadow, okay? Because most of April, it just seemed they couldn't find their way. It took a while for Tatis to get back. Um, but I think now, you know, I think once Soto's figuring it out, I think we're going to start to see some momentum building. And boy, they're, they're full of confidence and optimism. I think you could say that the thin air in Mexico City helped them um, as far as their bats. But I think their confidence is sky high right now. They're having fun. I mean, the the celebrations in in the dugouts across Major League Baseball have kind of become a signature of the players and the fans are expecting it. And now to see the Padres with the sombrero sluggers running up and down (laughs) the dugout with a big black hat is kind of cool. So they're, they're really enjoying themselves. They play the Dodgers six times in the next nine games. Now, here we go. Three at home, Petco. Go to Minnesota, meet the Twins. Go to Dodger Stadium, meet the Dodgers again. You know, when when this first came out, this new schedule, John, I said, this is cool. You know, I don't need to see the Arizona Diamondbacks or Colorado or even the Giants 19 times a year. Now you're playing the guys in your own division 13. 
I want to see everybody else in Major League Baseball. And now with this balanced schedule, you'll get a series at Fenway Park with the Red Sox, or they'll come here. You'll play everybody in the league. That being said, I don't like the structure of the new uh, concept schedule because you're playing the Dodgers six times in nine days, and then they go away. You don't play them again for a long period of time. So that's I wish that was a little bit different. Well, it seems like they've flipped back and forth between the balanced schedule, the unbalanced schedule. But I'm with you. I, I like it where they kind of spread it around. Because to your point, the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, I mean, we don't need to see them. As much as I love playing the Dodgers 19 times. Uh, but I, I think it's just good to get a nice mix of some of those American League teams in. And uh, you feel like the fans, they get a taste of everything. But two series in one week against your bitter rival, wouldn't you rather have three games this weekend and then maybe three games in June and three more games in August and three games at the end of September uh, rather than have them bunched together? I mean, six times in nine days? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to get a heavy dose of the Dodgers. We're going to find out how good the Padres are. That'll be a good litmus test. Okay, next baseball topic on the table. You knew we were going to touch on this one. Yeah, I mean, this is from Japan, and we're finally getting news of Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer made his first start on Wednesday morning for the Yokohama Bay Stars. He's on a one-year, $4 million contract. He's getting paid $22 million exit money from the Dodgers, the aftermath of the massive suspension for sexual misconduct. He's become a rock star in Japan. (laughs) This is really really strange. Yokohama sent him to their AAA phone club. He made three rehab starts Mm because he had been out a year and a half. Yeah. So he threw 16 innings for the minor league base stars, um, won all three games, gave up three runs in 16 innings, had 17 strikeouts. Yeah. And they sold out the minor league park. It was kind of an event. Mm-hmm. So he makes his first regular season start against the Hiroshima Carp. All-time record, 33,000 fans at Yokohama Stadium. Wow. He's being treated like he's royalty. The Japanese media are following him everywhere. Mm -hmm. Holds these long press conferences. First start versus the Carp, strong. Seven innings, one run allowed, four hits, nine strikeouts. I think he threw 96 pitches. He holds these long press conferences. Nobody, with the exception of one Associated Press reporter, has brought up what happened here with the Dodgers. It's like they don't care. He's our star. Maybe he'll lead us to a championship. It's it's novel. He did. I will say this. Trevor Bauer did a YouTube conversation with himself <laughs> just prior to his first start. Okay, I got a picture and of that. Mr. Me, myself, and I interviewing yeah, me. Right. Uh, Trevor Bauer said, I've made mistakes. Okay. I have to live with the mistakes I've made. I've made errors in judgment. But he never went beyond that. Japanese media doesn't seem to want to ask him. Fans don't care. He wears number 96. There's 96 jerseys in the stands everywhere. So he's become a rock star. Uh, Most intriguing thing, and, and he only answered it one time, an Associated Press reporter who asked him about the mess here, asked him about the differences. The ball is different in Japan. Hmm. The mound is flatter in Japan. It's not as steeped as a major league mound. So I think it takes pitchers time to get used to it. And he hasn't indicated that it's been a 
problem. So he's, I mean, he's had now had <coughs> four starts. So Trevor Bauer's there for the entire year. We'll see if the Yokohama Bay Stars become a championship ball club. He only pitches one time a week. He seems to like the culture, seems to like the food, seems to like the adulation that's being directed at him. And whether or not anybody in baseball gives him another kick of the can a year from now remains to be seen. Response? Well, it seems that when Major League players go to Japan, they're on the tail end of their career or they're, you know, 3A, 4A players that never really latched onto an MLB roster. Yes, a star here, yeah. Yeah, so they've got a legit guy, at least from a a talent perspective. Now, yeah, he comes with a bucket load of baggage. Um, And it is kind of sad they're sort of overlooking it, but I think maybe they're just starstruck by having a bona legit American baseball star there. And the base stars have never had a championship team. And now they got a frontline pitcher that doing it once a week might be the difference maker. I mean, he beat, he shut down, he choked off a really good Hiroshima Carp team in his first start in Japan. So we'll see what what the next week brings. So we got we got a lot of baseball to talk about before we move on to the NBA. John, we're doing a lot of unique and really different things with our <laughs> Thursday podcast, our bonus coverage podcast, explain how the fans forum works and then explain how people can subscribe to what we're doing. Okay, yeah. So you could subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, you know, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. We're on all the audio-only platforms. Be sure to subscribe also on YouTube. Um, and then, yeah, you can get involved in the Fans Forum segment. We we take live stream uh, comments and questions. But at the same time, we also like to get some of our YouTube uh, commenters involved, those people that are responding to the YouTube videos. There's lots of ways to get involved in Hacksaw's headlines. And if you're sampling our podcast. Please understand, we already have 1,700 subscribers, which is an amazing accomplishment in just a couple of months. So we want you to be 1701, 1702, 1703. Also, see that name at the top of the screen? LeeHacksawHamilton.com. That's my website. It's all written. If you like sports, if you were one who liked the talk shows the way I did it, Go to my website every day because I write a ton of it. It's on there every morning. Best 15 minutes in sports radio, Hacksaw's headlines, my one man's opinion column, as well as all the mini polls that I put up. (laughs) So check that. And on top of that, on the list of things that you must do, if you like what we're doing, give us a thumbs up. If you like what we're doing, go to Apple and give us a five-star review for our different podcasts. So it's an awful lot of stuff out there for you to do once you get done and join what we're doing here with our Thursday podcast. John, let's move to the NBA. Yeah, the NBA. And I mean, there's some big news here about Dylan Brooks with the Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis Grizzlies have given up on him, and this guy's an established quality player, but the guy's a loudmouth. The guy became a distraction. And all the junk that came out of his mouth directed at LeBron James and the Lakers. And I'll respect you only when the number 40 comes up. Well, LeBron wound up leading the Lakers to a 40-point victory when they blew him out in the seventh (laughs) and final game. Memphis has had enough. And I'm a bit surprised with this. The Grizzlies have decided, he said, walk free agent, walk out the door. We're not bringing you back. He really became a distraction. Physical player. Uh, really rugged defender. Offensive game just totally went away. Shot like 33% from the floor, 31% from the three-point line. They just put him out on the street corner and saying, you're not welcome back. Uh, Poor Memphis. I mean, they had a good young team, played with their hair on fire at home, got run out by the Lakers. Uh, 
John Morant's off-the-court problems really impacted them, but they came back and played really hard together till he got banged up. But, I mean, the, the stuff that Brooks was doing, play the game, play hard, be a good teammate, it was like the second coming of Draymond Green. I'm surprised they're hitting the eject button on him. Well, do you think maybe the the Memphis Grizzlies management just doesn't want to put up with any kind of off the field or off the court garbage or nonsense because of the John Morant situation? Could well be. They just want guys on the straight and narrow. Yeah. And it was interesting in the exit interviews that John Morant had with the media. Uh, he said, I have to change who I am and how I act in the situations that I've gotten myself into. So hopefully he's grown through his bad situations with guns, because at one point there were five different incidents uh, that were being investigated, and three of the five had guns. So that's a big story in Memphis. This guy's going to go on the open market. This guy's going to get some contract offers. There's no doubt uh, in my mind with that. Okay, let's move on. Uh do you want to talk about the Lakers and Golden State? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I mean, this didn't get off to a good start as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm surprised you showed up here as we get ready for Game 2 of the <laughs> Laker-Golden State Series. I thought you'd call in sick. I'd have to do this with uh, Nona, the golden black retriever. <laughs> uh, Lakers, experience, Golden State, stardom, great, great matchup. Anthony Davis, plain possessed. 30 points, 23 rebounds, four block shots. It's like he has taken his game in the last two months to a really different level that we have never seen before. He is a force offensively. He is a force defensively. And he is just playing such physical basketball. I mean, this is, I think it's just a different player right now. So AD goes off for the double double. LeBron winds up with 22. There were stretches of time in that game. LeBron looked like an old man, but boy, he had last two and a half quarters, he was dominant. D'Angelo Russell poured home 19 all in a flurry in the first half. Got some pretty good production off the bench. It only counts as one, but it was one in San Francisco. And Golden State's got huge issues. You know, I used the word in our Monday bonus podcast, matchup. Mm. I think Golden State's got huge matchup problems. Physically, they're just so undersized up front right now, and they they have not figured a way how they're going to defend AD. And I think they got to take AD out of the rhythm if they have any chance of being on this. And, of course, other end of the floor, you know, Steph Curry had the mystical 50-point night when they they won that last series, but he was he was defensed out of the game by Jared Vanderbilt. I, I was really surprised how tough Vanderbilt played Curry, um, and all they did was stand on the perimeter and launch threes. They were twenty twenty three for fifty two. They wow. hit 23 threes, and they lost the game. Wow. Because they did nothing on the baseline. They did mm-hmm. nothing inside whatsoever. So I'll be intrigued to see what has to change for Golden State in the second home game here tonight. The big issue, where does Steve Kerr go to get bulk? He doesn't have it uh, on that lineup. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to push the tempo. They want to shoot a lot of threes. But if you can't hold up at the other end physically because Anthony Davis is walking all over you, you got all kinds of problems. So Golden State, they they got some glitches here. And they're going to have to rearrange some of the things on the chessboard. And the Lakers are just, they're just playing with such unbelievable confidence. Now, granted, it was only one win. 
and series do change. Injuries can change things too. So Lakers look like a team to be reckoned with. If they if they get through the series, they're probably going to face Denver in the Western Finals. But that's putting the cart before the horse. Your thoughts on what you saw with that team, the enemy, and your team, the Warriors? <laughs> well, I'm just amazed at the Lakers, the way this season has gone because they've had it was been a roller coaster up and down and it seemed like um, guys like Anthony Davis they they kind of disappeared for part of the season and it made me wonder you know like all kinds of athletes are streaky you know they'll go through uh, good streaks and bad streaks they'll go hot and cold but it seemed like Anthony Davis maybe didn't have the will to play you know he was maybe discouraged but now the dude is unstoppable and he's just he's playing with such tenacity and such physical force fierceness I've not seen that from AD even back to when he was with the New Orleans Pelicans I mean he's such a gifted great athlete but boy he's taken this dimension to another level. So on we go. Game two coming up here, Lakers-Golden State. Let's talk one other basketball topic. This is college basketball. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on with Aztec recruiting in the NIL. I don't like this at all. I don't like the look of what college basketball has become. I don't like the method of operation. All of a sudden, the first words that flashed into my mind this morning, because the storyline is San Diego State, who thought they were in on a whole bunch of bigs, have lost them all. And the the words that flashed to my mind were soldiers of fortune. Mm. These transfer portal guys are standing out there on the street corner with their hand out. Pay me. Mm -hmm. San Diego State at one point was in on five bigs. Four of them have gone other places for paydays. And the fifth one is still visiting schools And he's played for four different schools already. Mm -hmm. I just don't like the landscape of college basketball. I don't like the transfer portal. And all of a sudden, this is all about money. And this has always been my private concern, even as the conversation, San Diego State, Pac-12 Conference. Where are they going to come up with the money to be a player in the NIL? Because everybody's got bucks except the Mm mid-majors. San Diego State, even if it winds up in the Pac-12, will still be a mid-major. And the guys that run the Mesa Foundation, which finances the NIL, openly admit they don't know where some of this other money is going to come from if there's a step up. So uh, I really thought the Aztecs had a chance to Graham Ike from Wyoming, the big Mm -hmm. 6'9 jumping check center. He wound up at Gonzaga. Hmm. Uh, they, they, I thought they had a real chance at a 7-1 center. Uh, Nevada, he wound up going to the Big 12 Conference. I thought uh, they had a real kick at the can at this kid, Will Washington. He's a San Diegan. He's been all over the place, most recently at Arizona State, before that Nevada, before that Oregon State. And all of a sudden, coming home isn't important as much as coming to get a payday and now he's talking to Texas Tech and TCU. Aztecs are, are kind of getting stung here. And I go back to my word. I just don't like this, quote, soldier of fortune thing that I see going on in college basketball. Am I right or am I wrong? No, you're wrong. Because <laughs> I like this. These guys have been, they're, they're playing ball. They're attracting all these people to these sta- uh, sta- uh, these arenas. Think of the eyeballs that were watching the Aztecs all the way through the tournament. There's a lot of money on the table. And these players, I don't think, are really getting the proportion that they deserve. So the now that this thing is transformed, yeah, like, 
like old school guys are like, hey, what's going on? This is supposed to be amateur athletics. I like that they're getting paid. But San Diego State needs to figure out a way. It seems like they've when they constructed this Mesa Foundation, they tried to do it so it was equitable. Now, I think it was equitable across the board for the basketball players. But is it equitable across all sports, all genders, all players? It is. From what I love to believe, everybody gets 2000 a month. And see, if they spread it out 2000 a month for football and baseball and women's volleyball and golf, I mean, they're going to be at a huge disadvantage going up against these big 12 teams that will cherry pick and pay this guy 500 grand and, and that athlete 200 grand. It's a mess. I, you're just said in very kind fashion that I'm old school out of touch. Okay. I, I accept that analysis okay. and that critique, but I'm sorry. I just don't like this soldier of fortune stuff going on in college athletics. On we go. Let's talk NFL football because there's been fallout post-draft, a lot of conversation, a lot of different things going on. Yeah. I mean, you show these headlines and now we're seeing John Gruden's name back. I want to hear what you have to say. All right. Here's the storyline with the Raiders. Former number one draft pick Henry Rugg, who was involved in a horrible drunk driving fatality accident a couple of years ago, has plea bargained guilty. He was doing 156 miles an hour when he rear-ended a woman in the intersection, sent her car over 500 feet, exploded. She died instantly, burned to death. He suffered minor injuries. Girlfriend in the car suffered injuries. Suspended, then released by the Raiders. He has now plea bargain guilty, felony, DUI, manslaughter, three to ten years in prison. The reason I link Henry Rugg with John Gruden is the stain of the Gruden era still exists with that Raiders franchise. Virtually all the players they brought in failed. He brought in some really bad citizens, failed. When you go through as many high draft picks who don't pan out, it just destroys your franchise. Of course, John Gruden is suing everybody right now because contract terminated, racial emails sent to Washington criticizing NFL leadership, et cetera, et cetera. Gruden will never never be in the National Football League again, but the remnants of John Gruden's leadership continue. And the Henry Rugg story is it's just hideous. How he didn't kill himself, blood alcohol count of 0.16, two hours after the accident, so his number was higher Mm -hmm. at the time, 156 miles an hour. you got to be kidding me. Um, you know, he thinks he's going to play pro football again. Uh, he won't be in the NFL next year. He'll be in the uh, Nevada Penal League. But uh, just just horrible. And then let's go to the next next item here. These are the draft picks who have failed with the Raiders. Horrible failure rate more recently. Uh, since the Jamarcus Russell draft, which was back in the early 2000s, Raiders' number one draft selections have been hideous. 11 of the last 15 have washed out. Wow. Including not just the DUI fatality with Henry Rugg, Damon Arnett, high draft pick, cornerback, Ohio State, out of the National Football League, guns, walking around taking pictures, guns, horrible statements involving guns, killing people. He's out of the league. And then you look at the guys who couldn't play. I mean, the the Raiders 
struck out on Clee Farrell. They went four years with him as a number one pick, defensive end. John Abram, who they played immediately, safety, just didn't play well, couldn't stay on the field. He's a number one pick, high number one pick, gone. Rug, Damon Arnett. Alex Leatherwood, huge kid out of Alabama, supposed to be their cornerstone ankle tackle forever. He didn't last a year and a half. This is all the aftermath of John Gruden. So what do you think of him now? <laughs> um, here's what I'm wondering is, is such a disaster from the John Gruden era. Remember before Gruden took that job and what was like $100 million, 10 years, it was a huge deal. He had been constantly being wooed by, you know, the Davis family in, in Oakland and then a lot of other teams. And he kept denying and saying no. And he didn't want to go back and be a head coach anymore. I wonder if deep down he knew that he still didn't really have it. And a lot of that bravado of John Gruden, he was probably he probably knew he was better off in the broadcast booth. No. And now he's exposed. No. It's bravado, it's ego. He would never tell you that he failed. You know, <laughs> the reality, history should write Super Bowl ring with Tony Dungy's players. Right. In Tampa. Mm-hmm. And after that, boom. So then he winds up on TV and he talks himself. He was very good on television. Yeah. Very blunt and all that. Talks himself into being a hot candidate. Goes to the Raiders. And what a disaster that's turned out to be. And John, I'm sorry. You cannot screw up as many first, second, and third round draft picks as he screwed up. He and Mike Mayock left a lot of carnage and wreckage behind. And I don't know if Josh McDaniels can rally this thing and uh, Dave Ziegler, who came from New England as their general manager, a lot of work to be done. But it's historically what the Raiders have always been about, whether it was Al Davis in free agency or Mark Davis. Let's just get the shiniest new object out there and everybody will get excited. <laughs> God, bad product on the field and horrible product at the tail end in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And so I just I just wonder how long it's going to take them to to get back. And they haven't been real good in a long period of time. Well, do you think that they've uh, kind of fixed their flaws? I mean, how did you feel about their draft, you know, last week? Uh, If I were king and how poor their defense has been because of the blown draft picks, I would have taken Jalen Carter, that cement block defensive tackle. Now you can stop the run. Mm -hmm. You can go get athletes, I think, that you can teach to play in the secondary pretty well. But if you can't stop anybody, they took another defensive end. You've already got Chandler Jones that you gave a free agent contract to. you got Max Crosby, who's a phenomenal pass rusher. Why do you need another defensive end? And you still got a black hole in the middle in your defensive front wearing the silver and black. So they also, the story today is that they had a chance to make a trade to stockpile more currency in the first round. Arizona came to them and said, trade us number seven. We'll give you multiple picks. Hmm. Raiders did not do that either. So uh, did they draft good guys? Well, we'll see. I, I, I think Tyree Wilson is a big physical specimen, but he's got a foot injury. And you didn't need, I don't think they needed another defensive end. 
I would have much rather had Jalen Carter wearing the silver and black. But you know the way they conduct their business? That's why I refer to them as the silver and bleak. <laughs> the silver and bleak. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, man. I mean, so I, I just I worry about this franchise. I, I followed them in the 70s, you know? It was a golden era, but, man, they are just a shell of themselves. Oh, you're, not, not, you're not going to pull out the Super Bowl trophy, the, the dusty, dirty one with the dent in your closet and <laughs> run it out here and say, Lee, look what we won. Well, geez, that was 50, 60 years ago, John. Right. Speaking of old school out of touch, <laughs> yeah. I'll spin that back in your direction. Yeah, very good. I thought one, zinger right there. One other college football note. Uh, this is probably going to hit a few hot buttons along the way. Here's the question. The new way of doing business in college football. Uh, visionary or is this really unethical? Colorado hires Deion Sanders. He comes in like a tornado in Boulder. Hmm. They love everything he says, what he says he stands for, etc. Here we are coming out of spring football. 52 Colorado players in the transfer portal. And they didn't all go voluntarily. Deion Sanders came in and ran all these guys off. So I will ask you the question, John. 52... You add in those who have graduated or those who have injuries, he probably will have to replace a total of 70 guys on his roster for the Mm -hmm. fall. He signed 24 transfers. What is the responsibility of the head coach? Aside from winning games, is there a responsibility to run the program ethically? Is there a responsibility to have a relationship with every player, whether it is star quarterback or or the fourth running back on the roster? And what is the responsibility of the university once they make a commitment to you to sign a national letter of intent, come here, play, make you a better football player, etc.? He ran 52 guys off the field right after spring football. And now that nationally, everybody's writing about the way primetime is doing his business. I mean, we do recall... We talked about it extensively, his introductory press conference. I am the law, and I am bringing my baggage with me. Right. A piece of that baggage, to me, is a bit of a turnoff. Why, how could you rationalize treating all these players the way you did to make them leave? It's as if he walked on Folsom Field and said, every one of you guys who was on this 1-11 football team is a bum. And I want you out of here so I can bring my guys in. So you tell me, right, wrong, unethical, fair, foul? What's the responsibility of the head coach? Well, I think, it, it, first of all, it's a big number. And I, that, that 50-whatever number of players were jettisoned is a huge number. But he was brought in to change the culture. He was brought in to transform this one-win team into something that's competitive in the Pac-12. So you had to expect there was going to be a lot of people that weren't going to make the squad, but it's, it's a competitive sport. You know, you, when you get a, a a scholarship offer, it's not a guarantee for four years. I mean, you have to make the team every year. So if they're a one in 11 team or whatever they were, you know, the, the players are not the elite players. So he, he also knows that by having this new head coaching opportunity, he's attracting a lot of inbound transfers that want to be part of Coach Prime's, um, you know, system. So 
it's it sounds hardcore, but I think ultimately he's doing the right thing to flip this in the direction of a winning program. Okay, you can that's indirectly you're telling me I'm old school out of touch again <laughs> that there is no responsibility to the former players who cast their lot to go to Colorado to play football to graduate to get an education to wear the gold and black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that they'll have an opportunity to play ball elsewhere. Those students, they could stay at Colorado and just not be playing football. So the, the university fulfilled their agreement because they, they, the scholarship is a year-to-year thing. So, um, But every year, it's a tryout. Every year, it's, it's, uh, it's competitive. And you know, if you're like the third-string you know, linebacker on a team that only won one game, good chance you're not going to be on the squad next year. So you're telling me indirectly in your personal dictionary, there is no word unethical. Oh, there definitely is unethical, but I don't necessarily think this is unethical because it's within the boundaries of the agreement that was established. So, you know, it's not like he makes promises to people and then withdraws the promise. So I knew that he was going to let go of like 20, 30. I mean, it turned out to be 50 something. That's a big number. Let's see if he can fill in the back end of this roster and build something. Okay. You could argue with me, but you'd be wrong. I'm a talk show host. <laughs> yes. Hey, before we go on to the final group of topics here on our Thursday podcast, John, uh, once again, just explain to everybody about the word subscription and let's tell them about how they can help us grow our Thursday podcast, and our Monday bonus podcast. Okay, so yeah, you could subscribe, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of people really enjoy listening to the audio-only version. In fact, the audio-only downloads have been really growing for Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Uh, but you can also subscribe on YouTube. And then, yeah, one of the things you can do to really help out our podcast is to share it with a friend. So like, follow, share, and subscribe. All of those things really kind of give the, the podcast a lot more credibility. Your word of mouth and sharing it makes a huge difference. Uh, so cl- just click on that share button and share the love. And give us a thumbs up. And if you're really interested in helping us and become part of our team, give us a review. I have no pride. I'll take a five-star <laughs> review and do that via Apple. And by the way, check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every day. Agree or disagree with what I have to say, guarantee you will enjoy it. Let's move on. we got some other unique topics on the table here. Yeah, I mean, we're talking here a little bit about the Ducks, and they've got some pretty interesting coaches they're looking at. Well, the NHL playoffs have marched on. Rash of upsets in the first round. Stunners to begin the second round. The teams that don't make the playoffs make coaching changes. The Ducks are looking for a new head coach. Look who's available. This is really interesting. And it leads to the philosophical question. They have so many young players, stockpiled so many draft picks. They're going to be in the NHL lottery and could get the number one pick. Uh, the goal-scoring star Cam Bedard out of Regina, Saskatchewan, uh, a week from now. What do they need as a head coach? Do they need a taskmaster? Do they need a veteran head coach? Track record and wins and Stanley Cups, hugely important. I ask the question, do you think Daryl Sutter, who has done a historically great job, whether it was Calgary, Chicago, L.A. Kings, Stanley Cups, tough guy, old school guy, do you want that as a leader for all the young players the Ducks have stockpiled and are force-feeding? The other veteran, Joe Kenville, 
929 career wins. Blackhawks, St. Louis Blues, for the most part, not as demanding and as caustic and as tough as Daryl Sutter's presentation is, but Joel Kenville has been a great coach. So the burning question is, do you go get a young guy who's going up? You get guys who are set in their ways. They do have track record, but eventually always get fired. What do you think the Ducks should do? It's it's this is so complicated. <laughs> I mean, anytime, I mean, any sport when they debate, you know, do you bring in a players coach or do you bring in, a, you know, a, a disciplinarian? Um, I just think with the Ducks, if you've got a lot of young players coming up, you need an experienced coach, a guy who's been through the league, been through the playoffs and can really lend that kind of uh, guidance and mentorship. I like both those guys. I just don't know if you can have that approach to players who are 20 and 21 and drive them and drive them and drive them. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to see what they're going to do. But right now, everything is laid out there in front of them. They have a nice group of high first and second round draft picks. And they got more kids in the pipeline who are coming. And they're going to get either pick one or pick two in the draft. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see, but what kind of guy do you want to pick up the flag, teach him, lead him, demand from them, and follow me through the wall? Mm-hmm. That's going to be an interesting story. Hey, we got a big weekend, not on the floor, not on the court, not on the ice, but on the turf. Yeah. I mean, this is exciting. I mean, it's just like one of the big holidays in sports, right, when we have the Kentucky Derby. So what's the breakdown, Lee? 20 horse field. Traffic jam. I guess the key word at Churchill Downs is speed, because you're going to need speed coming out of the 20-horse gate to get in the lead and not get caught up in the traffic. But the fine issue is how much speed do you expend at the starter's gate to try to pull away from the field? Do you need that speed early, or do you need that speed late when the field starts to tire and comes back to you. Mm. Going to be interesting. The favorite is going to start way out on the outside, Forte. Starts 15th. That's great because you're not in that conundrum where you get trampled on, you get a lot of dirt in your face and all that, that whole crunch inside. But you're at 15, you may have to expend speed to try to get to the corner Mm -hmm. and get the lead. Or you stay outside for a while, you run a little bit longer, but you just stay out of the traffic jam. Uh, Angel, the Empire, will start right inside of Forte at 14. Same storyline. Forte's won five in a row, has won six of last seven races. Pretty impressive run. One other horse is going to start in the mix up and inside. And that that's going to be, I, I think, is going to be a huge challenge to see what Tap It Twice does. Tappet is going to start fifth post position. And there's an awful lot of stuff in terms of banging, dirt, hooves, legs that get kicked, starting inside at five. Uh, Can Tappet survive the traffic jam early? Or does Tappet have to use speed to get out of the gate and run away from that pack? So it's going to be a great race. The Derby, a slice of Americana, the beginning of the Triple Crown. And right now, the Derby is the race. Triple Crown has lost a lot of its luster. Uh, You get horses who run, who get fatigued, and won't come back uh, for the Preakness and Pimlico. 
others who get nicked up and get hurt or get sick. And by the time we get to the third jewel, Belmont Stakes, they're running fields of nine or ten horses. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think horse racing has really been able to address that. Because you got to win the first one to be a true Triple Crown winner, and there's an awful lot of money if there is a Triple Crown winner in terms of breeding when the, the horse retires. But uh, Churchill Downs, my goodness, my old Kentucky home. What a cool, cool event. Yeah, I mean, have you ever been there to the, yeah. to the race? I mean, that would be a, a bucket list opportunity to go to that game. Uh, or excuse me, that race, pardon me. Um, but you, we were talking about this before when it came to the Belmont Stakes that a lot of those horses – you know, from that had won the previous races, weren't there for the third race. So it, it, you're right. It has lost a lot of its luster. But it makes you kind of wonder, you compare eras. And you know, we, we always try to do that with basketball players and who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron. But what about the horses of today versus like Secretariat? I mean, there's no one that's ever going to come close to that, right? I think I think breeding has now brought us more great horses in terms of numbers Secretariat affirmed Aladar. I mean, those were great, great horses, spectacular bid, etc. But I think there's more great horses now in the fields rather than just the unique superstar of years gone by. I think the other, maybe this is an asterisk next to the conversation, the other thing that's happened in horse racing is we now have the Breeders' Cup Classic at the end of the year in November. Hmm. And there's enormous money in that, which whatever event you run, Breeders' Cup, Mile, the Turf, the Juvenile, whatever, and I think some of the owners say, "Okay, my horse can't isn't ready, can't can't go in the, in the second race of the Triple Crown or the Belmont. Uh, we'll just save it for November. Let the horse rest, train it up, and get it ready for the Breeders' Cup because that's another venue. So the Breeders' Cup." has probably come into this equation as to why races two and three in the Triple Crown have lost their luster. Yeah. Well, I think maybe just for the the trainers, for the owners, it's all about the money, right? So they, they don't really care so much about the Triple Crown and the legacy. They just want to cash in. Yep. On we go. We're going to talk about something different here off the field, on the pitch. Well, this is good because we've been t- covering the story about who's going to coach this team. But now this seems like there's been some updates. Well, changes here. Team USA, they have hired a new... Sporting director, in essence, a new general manager. Ernie Stewart, who had done a really good job stabilizing Team USA, to me, it was shocking. He left. He left at the end of the World Cup, and he's gone back to Holland to be sporting director, general manager of a team there. Of course, we've also had dialogue about this whole scandal involving Greg Berhalter, uh, the, the, the family of Gio Reyna, and the fallout from all that. And Berhalter's private life crisis back in 1991. Well, they've just hired, Team USA has just hired a new general manager, Matt Crocker. He was director of sporting for Southampton English Premier League. Now, they've not had a lot of success. They're kind of borderline uh, relegation right now. He had told them a year ago, I'm going to step back. I'm going to do some other things. So they knew he was going to leave. So he takes over Team USA. Um, His job is just not running USA Soccer's World Cup program, but it's it's the feeder programs, the development programs, the youth programs. Mm. He carries a lot of responsibility under that umbrella. He's got to hire a coach. Burr Halter is still out there. 
Berhalter's name has been linked to a couple of vacancies still in the English Premier League. The players wearing those colors in that crest want Berhalter back as head coach, but there's been no move made. And the rumor that just surfaced this week is that Crocker is talking to a fired English Premier League coach from the U.S. Hmm. who went to Leeds, and Leeds is about to get relegated out of the EPL. He got fired at midseason. And Crocker's talking to Jeff Manch about coming here rather than going through the whole interview process with Burhalter. I'm just a little bit surprised because we know the history of what Burhalter was accused of doing. We know how he handled it, how he's never never had a problem since that yeah. 1991 thing. I'm just really surprised that this new leadership with Matt Crocker coming from the EPL would hire somebody who failed in the EPL and not bring back Burhalter. Now, maybe there's an interview coming within the next month or so. But uh, I'm just really surprised that as successful as Berhalter was laying the foundation for what 2026 looks, the program just seems to be in turmoil. And now now we got new leadership, new philosophy, maybe. And what's his track record? Southampton's in huge trouble in the EPL. They could be relegated out to be playing in your backyard here in Poway. <laughs> so I, I just I don't understand the whole methodology when you got a proven coach who's done a good job laying the foundation, whom the players respect and want back. Yeah, this just seems like an obvious choice. So there must be something else going on that we're unaware of. But I, you know, when you were talking about the GM, I was thinking about, well, what does the GM do? Because it's not like you can make trades with national teams. Uh, but you're right. It was, it's that whole organizational structure. And that's the part where the U.S. seems to have always struggled, where you, know, you go to Germany and these other European nations, and they're recruiting kids at extraordinarily young ages and bringing them into these programs. Um, America has always struggled with that. Maybe this guy, you know, Crocker can 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 transform that part of it. But, you know, come on, hire Burke Halter and let's get going. I concur. I'll sign that memo there. OK, let's move on quickly. we got people who want to be involved with Fans Forum. Ask a question. We'll give you an answer. OK, so we got a couple of comments here. And this is one from uh, Anuti Polanco talking about Juan Soto scuffling. And this is before he got kind of hot because he's been warming up now. And he says, sooner rather than later, Soto will hit. If he doesn't, I would have to say that San Diego is not the team for him. Maybe he does not feel comfortable there, but he's an excellent hitter, just hasn't been able to put it together. Yet Manny and Tatis, I'm not worried about at all as far as their hitting. Also, their pitching sucks. San Diego could be winning by <laughs> five, and it would never be uh, for sure that the win they would win that game. They better sign better quality pitchers for sure. Well, they've had a lot of injury issues, and that's a big thing. And now, now they have a lot of age. And I made this comment back when you were trying to tell me at Christmas time, order your World Series tickets. <laughs> I made this comment back to you in front of the Christmas tree we had right here behind us, that your pitching staff is never the same from year to year. Correct. They had all those quality starts last year, all the quality innings from the top four or five guys, Blake Snell excluded, and we were all excited. But that staff has not come back. It's not the same staff. Now, Darvish has pitched okay. Musgrove got hurt, so he's only a starter two into his regimen. Obviously, you know, what they're dealing with 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 uh, Nick, you know, is he a four or five inning starting pitcher? Is he better to be a long reliever? That's a huge question is what mm-hmm. they're going to do with, with him. Um, and Snell is an enigma. Uh, Morion, whom I thought was ready to take the next step forward in his career, 
still on the disabled list with the elbow joint. Ryan Weathers has got some arm fatigue all of a sudden and looked like he had had two quality starts. So this pitching staff right now is not what that pitching stuff was last year. Now, maybe still can be a good pitching staff because there's a lot of baseball to be played. So uh, I'll reserve judgment on Soto for the time being. He owes us. That was a 291 hitter in Washington who's hitting probably 224 since he came here. And somewhere along the line, you have to quit using the excuse he needs to adopt. He needs some time. Time is ticking away. He needs to produce with the kind of money that he's being paid and the kind of money that everybody thinks he wants to ask for. Yeah, well, I, I, Soto is starting to heat up. You know, I think and it's all between the ears with him right now. So I'm confident he'll come around. But the pitching, you're right. That every year it's different. And and last year, get like to your point, Snell aside. They were fantastic. They mm-hmm. went seven innings most every game. Very little injuries. It was a, and this year you can't expect that to happen again. But I'll tell you what, Lugo has been very good. Yep. He's been very surprising. Waka was really good. Then had some really bad starts. So you're not sure where you're getting out of him. Nick Martinez seems like he's better in the bullpen than he is as a starter. So so they've still got to figure some things out. Um, I was hopeful like you were with about Morhone, but it looks like I guess it's an elbow issue or a forearm issue. Yeah. Yeah, so there's something there. So, you know, it's going to take them a little time to settle in here. Uh, they're going to, it seems like they're going back to a five man rotation. We'll see how it goes. But I'll tell you what, Hader is killing it. He's closing the games and looking really good. Uh, and he's got a track record. I mean, there's a guy who had a bad blip when he first got here from Milwaukee, and then he gathered it in at the end of the season, and he has picked up where he left off. So, Obviously, you're going to need pitching over 162-game schedule. They don't have any pitching left at AAA El Paso. You ought no. to see the ERAs. Holy cow. Well, yeah, because they're they're hitting in El Paso when it's, I mean, it's not quite Mexico City elevation, but it's up there. Damn close. But yeah, but you know, the, that second tier of players like Russ Kinnear, you know, nice kid, but he's not a Joe Musgrove. So uh, yeah, they got to make it work with the guys they've got now. Next question. Who else has something to say here? Okay, here's another comment about the whole Matt Ariza situation from Metallica708. He says, everyone was talking about him when the story broke, and why is no one talking about him now when it was discovered that there was video that shows that the sex was consensual and that he wasn't even there? Well, he was not there, although there was a sexual act, and everybody admitted to it. He maintains it's consensual. The woman says it was not. And obviously, the video clips that have surfaced from the different cell phones that were taken. Confusing story. He said, she said. Mm -hmm. What she said, did she lie? Uh, There is no video with any players. There are no faces shown on the video. Civil lawsuit, let it go to court. That being said, historically, the NFL has allowed guys who've gone through the legal system to come back and play, whether they were found guilty of something or not guilty after investigation, come back and play. Why he has not been signed by anybody yet is a stunner to me because he was never charged. And last I checked on page six of the NFL manual, it says nothing about being (laughs) stupid and being barred from the NFL. So I'm hoping somebody will give Matt Ariza a chance to rebuild football reputation rebuild personal reputation, the lawsuit will handle itself 
off the field. Yeah, and I, I agree with you as well. I think, you know, th- this is America. This is a land of second chances. And I think people do deserve second chances. And the fact that he was not guilty, I think, speaks volumes. And you have to let the you can't derail his career if he's not in trouble with the law. You know, there's, there's a lot of suspe- suspicion, but I think you've got to let him come back. And boy, is he a talented punter. Yeah. I, you know, I'm sure any NFL team would love to have him. Will there be blowback if somebody signs him? Yeah, there'll probably be people barking, but who cares? If the kid was never charged, did he do something stupid? Well, in my estimation, he did. He probably wishes he had never done that, but the kid can play. And Mm -hmm. if the kid's averaging 50 yards a punt for some NFL team and nothing happens with a civil lawsuit— then he will get through this. But I wish somebody would give him an opportunity to at least be in somebody's training camp for OTAs and preseason games and and go from there. What else we got on the table here? Okay, we got another one here talking about hockey. This is from iTron. He says, uh, commenting about the Canadian Shockers, you know, with the Oilers and the Leafs losing um, their their first games in the playoffs. He says, all water under the bridge. Both Edmonton and Toronto (laughs) won their first round series in six. Go Canada, go, especially the Oilers. Oh, Canada. Can you imagine how crazy it will be north of the border and how out of control I will be? If the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers make the Stanley Cup finals, that mm. that potentially could happen. Not easy. Toughest trophy to get. Maple Leafs continue to be up and down and weird with all that firepower, losing on home ice again in the first game of the Florida series after losing on home ice in the first game that they played in the first series. And Edmonton runs hot, can run cold, but Edmonton is dynamic with those two big goal scorers. So uh, we we got a group of games to be played, but can you imagine? You think I'm hard to tolerate now? <laughs> can you imagine if my team, Maple Leafs, and the second favorite team in my heart, Oilers, make the Stanley Cup Finals? Yeah, that, wow. that'd be something. You know, and I, I just know growing up, you know, I I wasn't born and raised on the East Coast like you were. And it seems hockey was always Canada. It was Northeastern America. But it's all this expansion has been happening, you know, kind of in the southern states. And and now it seems like Canada is almost a relic of the past when you look at the NHL, because a lot of the new winners have been American teams. So, yeah, that could be something. But here here's just kind of a weird question. Why are the Toronto Maple Leafs spelled L-E-A-F-S rather than Leaves, L-E-A-V-E-S? It used to be known as the Toronto St. Patrick's. I mean, I don't know that why that changed the way it changed, mm-hmm. but it did. They, they were part of the original six, which okay. is what you're making reference yeah, to. right. Uh, but, I mean, the NHL, when they expanded to the Sun Belt, I said, you're putting a franchise in San Jose? Mm-hmm. Anaheim? Nashville, <laughs> and those franchises sell out. Yeah, and, and hockey, hockey has just exploded. It was at one time the NHL was in huge financial trouble. It was the aftermath of the World Hockey Association and the raids and the salaries went crazy. I mean, it is now almost on an even par revenue stream wise to Major League Baseball. Really, yeah, the NF the NFL is a. I want to say a 17 or an 18 billion dollar sport. Mm-hmm. Baseball 
has elevated itself. They've gone from three billion to eleven billion. Mm-hmm. Hockey has pushed itself because they're in so many different markets and so many new places to eleven billion, and really? the NBA is right behind them at at eight. But I mean, who who would have thought an NHL franchise would sell out every home game in Raleigh Durham? <laughs> Home of the Carolina Hurricane, yeah, right in the heart and soul of ACC country. So, I mean, we have the historically great franchises. I mean, the Penguins went from bankruptcy to Mario Lemieux, Sidney Crosby, and now their elevated status. We know about the Rangers. We know about the Islanders. We know about the Flyers and the Broad Street Bullies. But, boy, if we could have the Maple Leafs and the Oilers in the Stanley Cup Finals— you think I'm unbearable now? Wait till that happens. <laughs> and you are unbearable now. <laughs> but at least I'm not unethical. Yeah, yeah. well. But, you know, the, I, that's amazing that the NHL has generated that much revenue. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but I think part of it is because people are migrating south. So you got a lot of New Yorkers that are moving to Carolina. But I think a lot of people are just discovering this sport and falling in love with it. And then there are certain cities that have sort of been off the radar. They've never had a legit pro sports team like San Jose. Like Seattle. Yeah, like Seattle. And they feel like, okay, we've got a team. And now they're all fired up for them. And the fans are just really excited. Yeah. Going forward, it'll be fun. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our Thursday podcast. We invite you to be with us for bonus coverage back here this coming Monday. Check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It is all written, I guarantee you. If you sample it, you will like it, damn it. And don't forget, (laughs) give us a thumbs up and give us a five-star evaluation uh, if you can. Great to have you with us, John. Have a great sports weekend. We'll yell at you come Monday. Yeah, looking forward to Monday. We'll yell again. Thanks again for being with us. Thanks for joining us. Hope you've enjoyed Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.